Yeah, children to children's church in the back corner. Uh, the rest of you, let's open up our Bibles together. Uh, we are back in Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have one and wanted one on the back table, the resource table, we have the journal Bibles where it's just the scripture and space to do notes for the gospel of Matthew. So that, those are over there on the table if you'd want to pick one of those up to follow along. But we are in Matthew chapter 8. We are going to read verses 1 to 17 of God's word today. So let's read it together. Uh, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before you right now and we ask, God, that you would help us to behold the wonder and the glory of Jesus. Help us to see that in Christ all things are possible, that in, in Jesus uh, the very miracle of our saving faith is, is on display in our lives. And as we see uh, his work in today's passage, may it uh, bolster our faith and trust in Christ. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Have you ever encountered someone who was all talk but little action? Somebody who was really good with their words, but there was very little backup with their ways. I had a friend in my dorm in my first year at the University of Toledo, his name was Alfred Ward. Good old Al. Liked him, we were good friends, but he talked so much about everything that he was good at. He was a resident expert on everything, he knew everything, he could do everything, and over a period of time, it would just 
get to me. I was annoyed and I was just so sick of the talking and the talking. And I remember one day he was saying, if I remember right, he could bench press like over 400 pounds. If you are unfamiliar with weightlifting, that is a lot of weight. That is impressive. I don't know if anybody in here is benching 400 pounds. He could do it though. Um, And I just got so sick of him talking. I said, okay, let's go. He's like, what? We lived, our dorm was directly across from the UT rec center. I'm like, let's go. Like, I want to see this. Because it's really amazing that you're that strong. I've never seen anybody lift that much weight in person. Let's go. And he's got, he had a, well, I, I can't right now because I've, I've got to do this homework. And then I'm supposed to go meet somebody, like maybe some other day. Never actually saw him lift what he said he could lift. You see, there are a lot of people who talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. They can speak a good game, but when it comes down to action, they are lacking. Well, that's not Jesus. Jesus talks the talk. He walks the walk. He's the son of God, and he puts it on display in word and deed. We saw him put his divine authority on display most recently in the Gospel of Matthew through the Sermon on the Mount. And in his actions, we're going to see them on display right now uh, through these three specific healings. We're going to see that he is the exalted Christ that we can put our faith and trust in. So we're going to see the authority and the glory of Jesus today. If you're a note taker, we're going to see his authority, first of all, through a remarkable healing. And really, words don't do justice to what he does in this first healing with the leper. And hopefully, as we dig deep, as we kind of think through it, we're going to, to see really how remarkable what Christ does um, and, and how, how significant this is for you and I. Secondly, we'll see the authority of Jesus on display through a remote healing that Jesus heals a Gentile, which once again is a shocker. But not only does he heal a Gentile, he does it from afar, that he doesn't even have to be there, that his power is so great, he can simply speak the word, and somebody who is in a different location can, endure, can experience the, the divine healing of Christ. And then lastly, we'll see the authority of Jesus on display through realized healing, that what we see happening, it's more than just Jesus healing. This is prophecy being fulfilled. The suffering servant is on hand. All right, so let's pick up at verse 1 as we begin, as we see the authority of Jesus through a remarkable healing. Now, just before Advent, we ended our time in the Sermon on the Mount, is where we were in the Gospel of Matthew. And look up at the end of chapter 7, because it's significant. It says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, and these sayings would have been the Sermon on the Mount, okay? The crowds were astonished at his teaching. Then notice what they said. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So their norm, what they were used to in teaching, is it could be profound stuff, and it could sound good, and it could even be very thought-provoking, but they had never ever had somebody speak to them in a way as though God was speaking directly to them. So we see his authority on display over that sermon through his words, but now we're going to see his authority on display through his actions, through what he does, through the uniqueness of Christ. One, this authority through a remarkable healing. One, I want us to take note of a humbled heart. Read verse one with me. It says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him, and behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. 
First of all, we must understand the physical condition of the man. You and I, I think when initially we think a leper, we think, all right, it's just some nasty kind of gross skin disease. As if that was all it was. Need to understand this. So when leprosy would take root, it would start with pain in various places on a person's body. That pain then would lead to numbness. It would damage and kill the nerves. And nerves are good for you and I. Do you understand that? The reason you and I don't touch hot stuff and slice our hands open on sharp stuff is when we touch something that is hot, what do you and I do? We probably go, ow, and then we move away. It's a, it's a warning sign for our body. Leprosy ruins that warning sign. What ends up happening then is the skin starts becoming discolored. Uh, it becomes thick, glossy, and scaly. Leprous in Greek is the idea of scales, so that's where leprosy comes from. The sores become dirty due to poor blood supply. Skin starts bunching up uh, as if if you looked at a lion, you know when the lions have like their skins kind of fold? That happens on the human body. Eyebrows and eyelashes begin to fall off. Tips of fingers, tips of the toes can fall off or shrink just due to the damage with the nerves and everything else. And if that's not enough, there is a distinct repulsive odor that comes from a person who is battling leprosy and it attacks the larynx so a person with leprosy will have a very raspy very difficult uh, way to talk so this is a horrible condition to endure this is something to be pitied it is it is awful but that is not it it's not just the physical condition, it's the mental and emotional condition of this man. Now, when we were little kids, we're on the playground, every now and then it was a very, very childish thing we would do, but somebody might touch you and say that you have, it starts with C, do we remember? Cooties. And then like you to have a kid come home and like everybody stayed away from me because I had cooties because I touched this person. And like, it's just, and usually, I mean, it doesn't carry over. Next day, it's not like he's still got the plague of cooties. We need to stay away. No, this, I, I, friends, I, I really want us to kind of dig in and think through this. Because this is way worse than cooties that we're talking about. The isolation that would have took place for a person who was suffering from leprosy was horrifying. Leviticus 13.45 the leprous person who has the disease, first of all, shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his lips, and he will cry out, unclean, unclean, anytime he's around people. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling place shall be outside of the camp. So think of all the physical stuff I shared with you and then add on that this emotional component where you are the lowest of the low. You are isolated, no touching, no relationships. Think of in today's world, think of his mental health. It would have been awful. I mean, it, it was, it, I, I bet there was times where he thought it would be better if I 
was dead. But in the midst of the physical condition, in the midst of the emotional condition, what I want us to behold is his spiritual condition. Because it's remarkable. First of all, his faith. His faith, his willingness to go before Jesus, where most people would have been so uh, intimidated to be around anybody, he goes with faith. There's a humility when he comes before Christ. He kneels before him. There's a reverence. Notice the term that he calls Jesus. What does he call him? He calls him Lord. And then notice the disposition of his heart. He doesn't demand Jesus heals, but he has faith that he can heal. He has faith that, Lord, if you will, I know you can take care of this horrible disease that I've been battling. We don't know how long. He could have been battling this for a week, a month, year, 20, 30 years. We have no idea. All we know is this leprous person is struggling, and yet he has faith. He has the kind of faith Jesus will speak of later in Matthew 17, Faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here, and it will move. But before we move on, I want us to pause for a second. And I want us to understand that each and every one of us here, before you were in Christ, understand this, you were the leper. That's one of the things I think God wants us to see in this. We were the leper. We were diseased and and sick and ravaged by sin. We were in isolation against one another, but more importantly, we were in isolation with who? With our Father. That there was a gap, that there was a chasm that you and I could not bridge. We were outside the camp, and Jesus willfully comes in and redeems us. Well, do you see your own need for Jesus, your own hope? In Christ, can you relate in a small way with this man's condition? Are you trusting that God can do something in your circumstances? So he's not only, uh, we only, not only do we see a humbled heart, there's a healing hand. Read verse three with me. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Did Jesus have to touch the leper? As we're going to see in a little bit, what does he do? He doesn't even go to the centurion's servant and he's going to heal just by his word. So Jesus did not have to touch There was a reason. Everything Jesus did was a purpose, and he touched him. And I want us to first of all say that this is an intentional purpose to show his love for sinners. Any germaphobes in here? Raise your hand. Where's Kaza? There he is. Yeah, like whatever. Get your hand up. I I tend to trend that way. To be honest, like I, I will not. I remember one time my daughter had a drink, and somebody, one of her acquaintance friends like cheerleader drank it and I was like that's I'm threw that away I was so angry I was like I I drink I'm willing to drink immediate family so wife kids I'm willing to share the drink especially if it's like pop or something that I shouldn't be drinking I'm willing I figure like that stuff is so unhealthy anyhow any germs are probably killed off in it but yeah I'm not like I love you all I'm not drinking your drink like it's just not happening I'm well this I mean this is shocking 
what Jesus does here. And it's not because of the germ phobe, like, oh my goodness, I touched him, and now I might get leprosy. And leprosy tends to not go just simply through touch. It goes through moisture, like either through the mouth or eye. That's the usual contagious passage of it. But that's not what is shocking about it. This is what is shocking. Leviticus 5.3. If he touches human uncleanness of whatever sort the uncleanness may be, which one becomes unclean, it is hidden from him when he comes to it and realizes his guilt. So if you touch uncleanness... According to Leviticus, you become what? Unclean. Jesus touches him, and initially it would appear that Jesus became unclean, but what ends up happening? Jesus touching him, the unclean becomes clean because of of who he is. But that's Jesus because he is compassionate to sinners. He is moved. Mark 141, talking about this same story, it says he was moved with pity He reached out. Later in Matthew, Jesus is going to heal somebody who's blind, and Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. And we need to understand that we have a God who is not apathetic. He's not a hardened God who looks at you and says, sorry about your luck, Chuck. You get what you get. No, he's moved with compassion that when he sees somebody in misery like this leprous person, he, he does it with love and remorse. Isn't that the gospel? What he's done to us on the cross, he treated us diseased sinners. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, Jesus wasn't afraid to get his hands dirty to save you and I. So I have to ask you and I, are we afraid? Are we afraid to get our hands dirty with fellow sinners? Are we willing to go places where maybe you wouldn't want to normally go? Well, Lord willing, we'll have another trip overseas this year. Love to have a whole new group of people who are willing to go where maybe you don't want to go, but you feel like God is leading you to go. Are you willing to engage people down in the inner city? Are you willing to to touch those people maybe at the the nursing home? You understand that, that is the heart of the gospel that we're not afraid of the leper because you and I were the leper apart from Christ. He came not for the healthy but the sick. But not only is it an intentional purpose to show his love, there's an intentional purpose to submit to his Father's will. John 5, 19, Jesus says, uh, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what the Father is doing. Because Jesus' response to the leper after he heals him is kind of shocking, isn't it? What does he tell him to do? Go tell everybody what I did, right? That's a Isn't that what we would do? I mean, it's 2023. You did something so miraculous, you're going to post it on what? Social media. Come on. I see it all the time. I see athletes all the time who will, they do something and they post it on Twitter to say, hey, FYI, if you didn't catch it last night, did you see what I did? And Jesus doesn't do that. 
What he ends up telling him to do is don't tell anybody, just go and do. One, I think because he wants there still to be an esteem of the law. Leviticus 14 is what he's talking about. Obey the law. Guess what the person doesn't do? He doesn't obey Jesus. He goes out, he tells everybody, according to the Gospel of Mark, so much so that Jesus cannot openly go into towns now because of the notoriety of him healing this leper. You see, but Jesus' goal was not to be this famous miracle worker. Jesus' point was to do the Father's will. He wanted people who were to believe in Christ as Savior and Lord, not just simply as somebody who could do the remarkable. Well, can you, one, testify to Jesus saving you in your time of need? Are you distant from those in need? Do you have compassion? Do you make life about you? So we see the authority of Jesus through remarkable healing, the humbled heart and healing hand. Let's look secondly at Jesus and his authority and glory through a remote healing, that he does it from a distance, showing that his authority has no limits. All right, let's look at the demonstration of faith in verse 5. So when he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man with authority, with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, he goes. I say to another, come, he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does this. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and truly said, those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, Luke tells a little bit different story of this story, and I don't think they're conflicting. And Luke, Jesus never actually deals directly with the centurion. And Luke, it says that the elders spoke on behalf of Jesus. So that, that's okay. I mean, when we say Pontius Pilate crucified Christ, did he do it? No, but his authority did it. He wasn't the one physically doing it. And I think the same is true here. One way or another, Jesus was communicating with the centurion. I want us to look at the surprising who. Think about it. I'm telling you, this is, at the current time, who is the person who is the greatest displayer of faith in the region? What would your expectations be? Let's think about this. If I told you the smartest person in the world was going to walk in through that back door, what is that person going to look like? Throw some ideas out. Come on. Is he going to be wearing anything? Glasses, right? I mean, come on, let's go stereotype. He's going to probably look a little bit unsuspicious. You're not going to expect him to come in and be tall, dark, and handsome because he's the smartest man. You can't have everything, right? What if I told you the strongest, the, the, the best arm wrestler ever was to walk through that door? What do you expect? A skinny arm, right? No, a giant arm. The actual guy, uh, John Berzenk, he's got a muscular arm. But, like, he's beat dudes who had double the biceps. It's not what you expect. You do not expect this centurion to be the baseline of the strongest faith in the region. One, because of his identity, he's, he's what? He's a Gentile. It's shocking. 
You would expect an, a Jew, an Israelite, to be the person who has got the strongest faith. To be honest, I would expect one of the disciples to be that person. After all, they're around Jesus 24-7. They've seen what he's done. If anybody's got faith, it should be one of them. No, it's a Gentile. Secondly, he is a centurion. That means he is a military, military leader, a Roman soldier. They hated the Romans. Hated them. Why? Because they were oppressing the Jews. And most of the time, the soldiers and the leaders were not good guys. And yet... There he is. He's a Gentile and a Jew. So we see the surprising who, but also a surprising how. Notice what he does. First of all, he calls Jesus what? What word? Verse 6. Lord. Think about this. He is a Roman soldier. He calls Jesus Lord. Who is he supposed to call Lord? One person. Caesar. And we start seeing that this guy has faith, like he's calling Jesus Lord. Because Caesar's might be a Lord, but he knows that this Jesus is Lord of, of Lords. Secondly, he begins to plead. It says, my servant, my, my slave is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. The fact that he is pleading on behalf of his slave is so countercultural. It, make, it makes no sense. Uh, Roman writer Viro he was once quoted as saying, the difference between a slave, a beast, and a cart is a slave talks. So that is how low a slave was in that society. Yet Luke 7, 2 says, a centurion had a slave who was sick and at the point of death, but he was highly valued by the centurion. But then we also see some humility in the Luke passage, Luke 7, 3 to 4. When they come to speak on behalf of the centurion, they say that this centurion is worthy. He is worthy to do this. He, he, he's, he's, he's good. He's a good guy. He's done good things. He is worthy, and yet Jesus, like the leper, not Jesus like the leper, uh, the centurion, like the leper, has this humility and he says, I am not worthy. What does he mean by not being worthy? What he means is if Jesus goes in to the centurion's house, once again, what happens to Jesus? He becomes what? He becomes unclean. John 18, 28, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters. This was during the night in which Jesus was betrayed so that they would not be defiled. But according to Luke passage, Jesus did not care about that. He was willing to cross that line. He was willing to do that. But notice the biggest thing in all of this that's shocking is the amount of faith he has. Because he says, you don't even have to come. You simply speak the word. See, I tell people to do stuff, and I'm, I'm kind of a big shot, but I'm not that big of a shot. And I tell people to do it, and they do it. And if I can do that, because you're Lord, if you just say the word, my, my servant will be healed. And we start seeing the unlimited confidence in the authority of Jesus. One, are you humble like this man? Are you worthy or is Jesus worthy? Do you have confidence in God? Does your prayer life show a trust in what God is able to do? I think the thing that probably should humble and maybe even some degree guilt and shame us a little bit is to see the amazing faith 
of this centurion and then look at our own lives. I mean, how little our prayers are, how meager our prayer life is compared to this guy who said, Jesus, I know you can. If you, if you just simply say the word, you're going to heal my servant. So we see the demonstration of faith, but then secondly, we see the danger from unbelief. Go to verse 11 with me. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. First of all, he celebrates those who will be getting in. What Jesus is saying in verse 11, he's implying that the centurion is going to be one of these people that are going to sit at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob because it is going to be a very exclusive crowd. I mean, we, we see it on time. We see it on TV. We'll have these exclusive events where you ha- your name has to be on or you have to have a ticket, right? I mean, those are those, those things. And what happens at those, those parties or those events? Does everybody get in? Because you just want to, no, you, you can't. Like, they'll have somebody at the door stopping people, and your name's not in the list. You're not getting in. Jesus is saying your name is on the list, centurion. Because of his faith in who? That's how he's getting in. Revelation 19, 19, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So not only is, is this centurion getting in, I think the bigger picture is, look at what he says, that people from where? The east and west, what is he implying? People outside of where? Israel. He's saying Gentiles. There's going to be many Gentiles, that the gospel has a global, worldly feature to it. Revelation 9, 7, or 7, 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And I'm not saying this to complain. I'm not saying this to make you feel uncomfortable. But when you look around, we all, generally speaking, with a few exceptions, look pretty similar, right? Heaven is not going to be like that, friends. There is going to be cultural diversity. We're going to have ethnicity all over the place. That's God's intent. That's why we are to be a church for world missions, because it's not just a bunch of Caucasians that are going to be in heaven. And we see this here, and Jesus is celebrating that there's going to be people from the east and the west, because he cares about the world. But not only does he celebrate those who will be getting in, I think there's a concern shown For those who will not be getting in. Because notice what he says. While the sons of the kingdom. Who are the sons of the kingdom? The Israelites. The Israelites. The Jews. Who don't have faith and trust in Jesus. Because see they were banking on the relationship. The ethnicity of being a Jew. It's like the child who grew up in a family of immense wealth. And they always knew they had a trust fund. 
and they lived like they've actually earned anything and they have it and they'll never have to worry. And then somehow through circumstances, the family loses the money and the trust fund is pulled from them and now they have no security blanket. And what Jesus is doing here is removing a security blanket that was never there in the first place. He's telling them, no, you're not of me. John 8, 42, Jesus says, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here, but you're not. You are of your father, the devil. And that's why Paul could make a distinction in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Friends, that's our hope. You and I getting into the party, you and I getting into heaven, it's because of our faith and trust in Christ. It's not because of your ethnicity, it's not because of your gifting, it's not because of this and, and that. Children, you getting into heaven is going to be based on your faith in Jesus, not because your, your parents had faith. Understand that. But also notice in the midst of all this, a horrible warning. See, these sons of the kingdom who have this false sense of security, we're getting in because we're Jews. No, Jesus says, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What is he speaking of? Hell. And friends, we need to understand hell is real. It's going to be a real place for all eternity for those who don't trust in Christ. So tomorrow, when you're out in your world and you're at your work, when you endure and engage with your neighbors, when you talk to those family members that don't trust in Christ, when you're at the grocery store today or you, you go out to eat, I, I want you to have that thought in your mind that there are going to be people that you're interacting with that right now, this moment, apart from God stepping in and saving them, their trajectory is being thrown out into the darkness. The trajectory of their life is there will be a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. That should move us with compassion. Well, are you getting in? Will you join the centurion? Is your, is your confidence based on your faith? And are you concerned about others who are not getting in? All right, we saw the authority of Jesus, one, through remarkable healing. We saw his authority through remote healing. Now we're going to see it through realized healing because we see prophecy unfolding and being fulfilled right before our very eyes. I want us to see the vision of our Savior. Read verse 14 with me. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought him to, uh, to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. First of all, what's going on? A lot of stuff going on. First of all, Peter's married. That's a whole other theological bunny trail we could go down in arguments. Peter's married. He's got a mother-in-law who lives with him. It just, it's just a matter of fact in Scripture. Uh, she's sick. Also, Jesus is carrying on the theme of outcasts. Uh, Psalm 147, verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So he's healed the disease. He's healed the Gentile. And now, and ladies, don't take this the wrong way, but in that culture, women were low. 
in, a, in importance and significance, and who does Jesus heal yet again? And not just a woman. I think there's a reason it's not just a woman. It's a Jewish woman. It's, once again, a reminder Jesus is not done with the Jews, that he still uh, has a heart for his people. So he, he heals her. And then notice her response. It's a great, it's just said such in passing. He heals her, and the very first thing she does is what? She gets servant. Uh, I mean, that's ultimately at the heart of the gospel, Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he goes on, and he ends up healing and casting out many demons, it says, beyond. Uh, Matthew 4, 23, it says, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So we see this this remarkable display of, of authority and power. But where's the glory in all this? And I, I think this is what we need to note. This is God giving us a glimpse of what he is capable of doing. It's, just, it's, a, it's a preview. I, I know we've had this before because like, we're just really good as a family getting stains on stuff. Um, five boys doesn't help that cause. But like, have you ever had a stain that you did not think was going to get out? And you went online and you tried everything and nothing worked. And then finally something worked. It, like it, it almost, to be honest, it feels like a miracle. Like, amen, like I can't believe it, it worked. Well, I mean, that, this is what we see in Jesus doing. It, it's starting to build a faith. It's building a confidence. That there is not a disease. That there is not a sickness. That Satan is is overpowering of God. Jesus can and is able to overcome any and all of them in his compassion. And he does it effortlessly. You understand that? There is nothing that is too, too difficult for Jesus. Now, does that mean Jesus will heal every disease and sickness? No, but he could. I think that's where we don't appreciate. I think sometimes we get too caught up into science. I even had a young man on my son's basketball team who hurt his ankle at practice. And uh, I came, and it's one of his best friends. He's also a really good player, so there's that, I feel bad for him, and I'm like, this is not good for the team. Um, so I sat down with him, and I prayed with him, and like, I talked with the trainer who I'm friends with, and she's like, I'm pretty sure it's broke. I've never seen Marin be wrong. It's annoying. Because I was like, well, that's, that's great. Because like broke means he's out for the season. So I, we prayed with him. And then his dad called me later. And he's like, not broke. Not broke. So immediately when I hear that, I started explaining away, well, she must have been looking at it wrong and stuff. And then the other dad who's friends with me who was there, he's like, and also maybe God just answered prayer. And I was like, I was like yeah, I didn't actually think of that. Like, like wow, like, God could have healed an ankle that maybe appeared broken, and, and God can do that. And we, we see just this glory in Jesus. But I think even more, as we're going to see in a second, it's not that Jesus can heal your sickness. Jesus can save the soul. I mean, when we look at the Bible and the book of Acts and we see Saul, you would have never thought Saul would one day become Paul. You never thought Saul, who hated Christianity, would become one of the biggest supporters of Christ. That's why Matthew 19, 25, 
Who then can be saved? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Well, are you for the outcasts and underdogs? Is your response a spirit of serving Jesus? How big is your God? How much confidence, confidence do you have in him? Do you believe that God has the same power that he had back then? Does he have it today? And that is, I mean, disease, sickness, cancer, heart disease, you name it, AIDS, HIV, all those things. We should pray for healing. God can. That doesn't mean he will. We don't get to demand, but he, he, he can. He's able. But not only do we see a vision of our Savior, lastly, I want us to see the victory over sin. Read verse 17 with me. It says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. We see, first of all, the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. I, I know I, I've, there was a, in the last year, a couple times, I had to meet people I had never met before. And that is always awkward, right? Because I'm at a coffee shop. I don't know what the person looks like. I didn't stalk them on social media. So I was like, I'll just wing it. I knew it was a dude, right? Yeah, so like, and when two of us were sitting there and the time started to go past, I went over and I was like, hey, are you? And like, are you? And then, like, okay, so now we know each other. Like, this was the cue for us. What's this Isaiah 53 suffering servant going to look like? He is going to do what? Verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4. He bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed from smitten, smitten by God and uh, afflicted. So he, he bore griefs, our diseases, he carried our sorrows. So we, we see what Jesus is doing here, as the scriptures say, it's fulfilling it, it's letting us know that this is the one. John 20, 31 says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Not only do we see the fulfillment, and here's the big picture as we kind of wrap this all up this morning. It's the future hope of Isaiah 53. It's more than Jesus being someone who takes our diseases and our sickness. Like we're missing the point if we're just amazed and enamored with Jesus as the miracle worker. It's great, but here's what happened. One day this leper did what? He died. One day this servant did what? He died. One day Peter's mother-in-law died. It was just prolonging life. And it still led to a problem. They die and they stand before a holy and righteous God. What is going to be the outcome? In Isaiah 53, the bigger picture is that he is able to completely deal with everything. I've noticed a lot, I don't know why, but on Facebook, a lot of people I know are always asking for help around their house. Like, hey, we need plumbing help. Any recommendations? And people post. And I was reading the one, and then the person's like, yeah, I contacted them. But the particular problem that I have, this plumber is not able to deal with. And I'm coming to the realization that plumbers and various general contractors, not everybody can do everything. That there are some things that they either can't do or it's too much to do. There's just a limitation in all of it. And what we see here with the suffering servant is there is no limits 
to what he is capable of doing. Isaiah 53, 5, listen to this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So the bigger hope of Isaiah 53 is not that somebody's going to come along and heal a leper and heal a centurion slave and, and heal a mother-in-law and, and, and cast out demons. No, the greater hope is that somebody is going to come and be our substitute. That somebody is going to die on the cross in our place and bring atonement so that you and I as sinners, dead in our sins, destined for wrath and hell and condemnation to be thrown outside the camp where there's going to be weak and gnashing of teeth, that somebody is going to come and has come and is that one here in this moment and he is going to deal with all of it. And that is our hope. First Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and to live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The glory of heaven, friends, is we get to be in the presence of God for all eternity, and guess what won't be there? Leprosy, demon possession, cancer, heart disease, AIDS. There will be no sickness. Revelation speaks clearly. There will be no disease, no sickness. And that people that endured those things, if they were followers in Christ, they'll be glorified with a new body, and they won't experience that. Just as he healed in this passage, he ultimately heals us eternally. Do these examples give you hope for whatever you are enduring today? Even if God's will is not for healing at the moment, are you willing to entrust him with your eternity? Do you have hope? I think as we, we wrap up our time, it, it is just our culture. And really, it's not just our culture. What was the one thing, and here's the question I ask, why are we so obsessed with greatness? Think of the disciples. What did they argue about? Most awkward argument in the Bible. Jesus is there, foot washing Jesus, and they're arguing which one's going to be the greatest. We use the term actually today in the sports world, we call it the goat. The greatest of all time. And we argue about it all the time. Monday, college football is going to have a national champion. People are going to argue who's the greatest team. We argue about actors, actresses, music groups, products. Uh, we argue over food, place, everything. This is the best and this is the best. Well, today's passage, I hope there's one thing you don't miss out. Who's the greatest? Jesus. Who's the best? Is there any competition? We saw the glory of Jesus in his words in the Sermon on the Mount, and we see his glories in the miracles, and we see his glory in our salvation. He is the one. He does, he can, he will. Therefore, we can put our faith and hope and trust in him. Because I think when we behold the glory of Jesus for who he is, whatever you are enduring this year in 2024 as the year starts off, can you trust him? If you're struggling financially, can you trust him? If you're having problems in your marriage, can you trust them? If you're having issues with your children, can you trust them? Maybe you have other relationship issues. 
If you're having problems with your work, can you trust them? Because the same Jesus that's healing lepers and and healing centurion slaves and and healing Peter's mother-in-law and casting out demons and doing all of that is the same Jesus that saved your soul. And he is the same Jesus that's going to get you to the finish line. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So I want to encourage you, if he doesn't do the healing on this side of of heaven, he's with you, and he's good, and he's going to get you there. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now, and we thank you uh, for just the glory of Jesus. God, it's just so easy for us to get distracted, to get so fixated on this world that we we fail to appreciate Christ. And I I pray, God, that um, in light of today's passage, that, God, we would just be wowed by Jesus of what he did in in the scriptures, but what he has done ultimately in our life. And as we look out at the the blurry future of the unknowns in our own lives, that God, the same faith uh, that we trusted in Christ for our salvation, we would continue to trust him this day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we respond with song.